Haunted UK podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products, such as printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage, and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This is Season 3 of the Haunted UK Podcast, and we're going to be picking up where Season 2 left off. We'll be continuing our journey to tell stories of ghosts, poltergeists, unsolved disappearances, mysterious creatures, haunted locations, UFO encounters, and much more. So without any further delays, let's get started. Before we continue, I'd just like to give shout-outs to the amazing people who've donated to the show via coffee. If you want to help the show, then you can do the same. Full details of how to donate will come later in the show, but for now, massive thanks to the following people. Dan Beavers, Mark Lewis, Ruth Morris, Merid McLean, apologies for pronouncing that completely wrong, can't find your message that gave me the correct way, Matthew Walker, Kyle Holloway, and last but not least, Tracy Colwell and her vampiric cat, Yoda. Now, let's get started with Season 3. When you get involved in presenting a podcast and the subject is the paranormal, you are desperate for your listeners to get in touch and share their stories with you. I've been extremely lucky to have listeners that have felt and mentioned that the Haunted UK podcast has been their chosen platform to have the confidence to share their experiences without fear of judgment or ridicule, and that means a tremendous amount. But every now and then, a story comes along that goes beyond an experience it becomes life-altering. This is episode one of season three of the Haunted UK podcast. And in this episode, we're going to hear from people whose houses didn't want to become homes. As per the request of the couple who decided to send this story into the podcast, names will be changed and locations won't be mentioned. This is mainly down to the negative effects that their admission to these phenomena may have in their professional careers. It's early 2010 
and Ben and Helen have just finished viewing a large four-bedroom house on the fringes of a small village in England. They both had good jobs in well-paid professions and this enabled them to stretch themselves to get the property that they wanted to call home. After some haggling, the sellers agreed to accept Ben and Helen's offer and around 20 weeks later, moving day finally arrived. Removal trucks began arriving and furniture was unloaded and placed roughly in rooms. The couple knew that like most moves, this would be a slow process and furniture would probably be moved around a number of times before they felt it was in the right place. A detached double garage and a large outbuilding workshop were used to store boxes of items until Ben and Helen finally got around to unpacking them. Helen recalls that the first two or three months were great. The two of them would spend their evenings and weekends painting, decorating and having small alterations carried out by builders, and it wasn't long before the house was beginning to take shape. But things slowly began to change. Helen takes the story over from here. I was alone in the house one Friday evening. It was early August, so it was still quite light outside. Ben had met some friends for a few drinks and wouldn't be back home until late. I can remember pouring a glass of wine and finishing off some tidying up in the kitchen. There were a few items which needed taking back into the workshop outbuilding, so I gathered them up, grabbed the keys, and went out the patio doors. The workshop was on the left-hand side of the garden, almost up against the fence. It was roughly the size of a standard single garage building, but twice as long, and internally it was divided into two rooms. It was a fantastic space inside, with lighting, heating, and plenty of work surface space. I put the box down and unlocked the door. Now I have to mention here that the door was UPVC, and so were the two windows, one in each room of the workshop. The UPVC door and both the windows were closed. There was also another door which separated the two rooms, and it was the far room that I needed to get to. I opened the door and walked to the far end of the room and put the box down on the work surface and then started to put the various items away. As I said, it was still quite light outside and the light coming through the window was enough for me to see what I was doing, so I never bothered switching the lights on. As I was messing around with stuff, I went incredibly cold. And I mean, incredibly cold. I physically began shaking. I then heard a creaking noise behind me and I immediately spun around to see the door which separates the two rooms stop moving. I was absolutely frozen to the spot, but my instinct was telling me to run and get out. As I stood there staring at the door, I noticed a darkness in the right-hand corner of the room to the right of the door. A darkness that started to get taller and darker. It's so difficult to describe, but I can only say that it looked like a very dark, growing shadow. That was enough for me. I just ran out of the building, shut the door, locked it, and ran back to the house. I had no idea what had just happened to me, no idea what I'd just seen, and no idea if it was real. Did I imagine it? I sat in the kitchen and waited for Ben to come home. A little past midnight, a taxi pulled up on the driveway and shortly after, Ben came through the door. Even though he was a little drunk, he knew that something was wrong. I explained to him what had happened and while he was sympathetic, he didn't really believe that I'd seen anything. According to him, it was just my imagination playing tricks with me and I couldn't wholly disagree. But I also couldn't fully agree. For the next couple of weeks, I would only go into the outbuilding either when Ben was with me or when I knew he was in the garden close by and things seemed to settle down again until a few nights later. Before we carry on with this episode, I'd just like to tell you about the Haunted UK Podcast's coffee account. If you love the show and want to help out that little bit more, then get yourself over to coffee, that's K-O hyphen F-I, and search for the Haunted UK podcast and for just a subscription of £3 per month you'll get a shout out in an episode of the main show 
chances to get your hands on free Haunted UK podcast merchandise, and you'll also soon be in line for bonus content bite-sized episodes. Getting to a target of at least 30 subscribers is the aim, and I know that with your help, it's easily achievable. And it's literally just the price of buying one coffee per month. If you'd rather not subscribe, then you can simply make a one-off donation. Every little bit helps. So if you want to help the podcast grow to the next level, then pop over to Coffee and make your donation. Coffee. Why not buy us one? Now, let's get back to the episode. We were now in late September and the nights had started to draw in. It was a Sunday evening and we were both downstairs watching TV when I decided to go for a shower. We had an ensuite bathroom in our bedroom and the door was directly opposite the bedroom window, which was quite a large bay-type window which overlooked the driveway and front garden. I'd left the bedroom light off and the curtains were still open, so it wasn't too dark at all. I grabbed my bathrobe and went into the bathroom. I came out of the shower and dried off, put my bathrobe on and opened the door to go into the bedroom to dry my hair. I switched the bathroom light off and went to walk over to the wall where the bedroom light switch was, but stopped by the sight of the silhouette of a figure standing in front of the bedroom window. I just screamed in terror and panic and within seconds heard Ben running up the stairs to me. He burst into the room and hit the light switch and immediately the figure was gone. Again, I was in the same situation as when I saw the shadow in the outbuilding. Ben wasn't totally buying it. We sat downstairs for hours in an awkward silence until we both went up to bed. In truth, there was no way that I was going upstairs on my own. I didn't sleep well at all that evening and was honestly glad when morning came and I could get out and go to work. For the next few weeks, we both lived around each other, but I could also definitely feel that something in the house or the grounds or wherever or whatever it was, was beginning to have a direct effect on me. I was becoming withdrawn, uninterested, full of dread at being in a house which we both felt would be our dream come true. But at the same time, I was beginning to develop a dislike for the man I loved. I had no idea what was wrong with me. Things continued to happen on a regular basis, but these were incidents that Ben could easily explain away. Putting keys down on the arm of a chair in the living room, only to find that they had disappeared, turning up hours later on the kitchen key hooks. Taking a walk down the local shop and returning home to find the upstairs landing light on. Or worse still, doing something innocent such as making a coffee in the kitchen to see the lights on inside the outbuilding. What was beginning to happen was every time something even remotely strange took place, Ben would sarcastically say something like, your ghost's at it again, or just giving me a look as if to imply that I was losing my mind. I knew that I wasn't. I knew that there was something wrong in that house. The thing was, other people were also beginning to notice that things weren't quite right. I can remember when a friend of mine from work popped in to pick up some books which I told her she could borrow. Ben was working late at the time so we were alone. Now this friend of mine had been to spiritualist churches a number of times as she was very interested in that side of the paranormal. Personally I didn't really have an interest in anything like that at all and this friend had no idea what had been going on in the house. She knew there was something wrong when we used to chat at work, as she had noticed how tired I looked and how I was less talkative and more distant. I would put it down to the pressure of the move and the constant work that Ben and myself were putting into the house to get it right. I didn't feel that what I felt was happening was something that I could easily discuss with anyone. I saw her pull onto the driveway and went to the front door to greet her and noticed that she was looking up at one of the upstairs windows. I smiled and said hello, and she clicked out of whatever trance or state she was in and smiled back and approached the door. I invited her in, but she seemed a little hesitant to come in at first, but she soon followed me into the kitchen. 
I made us a drink and noticed at the corner of my eye my friend shiver as if someone had walked over her grave. I asked if she was okay and she replied, Helen, please don't take this the wrong way, but is everything okay here? I have to admit that I burst into tears right in front of her. I can only describe it as relief that somebody else felt that there was something off. I started to open up about what had been going on when she quickly stopped me and took my hands and said, Before you start to explain, I need to tell you that I saw someone in one of your upstairs rooms near the window. Is there anyone else in the house? To which I replied, No. So who was upstairs? My friend said she couldn't see a face or any detail like that, just a dark, human-like figure near the window. We both went upstairs to the room where she saw the figure, our bedroom, but there was nothing there. We went back into the kitchen and I poured everything out to her and it felt so good to speak about it. And she said that she was always there if I needed to talk and if I needed to meet people who could maybe help further, then I was always welcome to attend the church which she went to. Throughout this time I continued to feel the influence of dark presences in the house. When I was alone I would hear noises coming from various parts of the place, as well as the overbearing feeling that there was always something watching me. A close friend was getting married and I was invited to her hen party. It was quite a distance away, so it involved a weekend away and I really couldn't wait to get away and try to relax. The day of the party arrived and I kissed Ben goodbye and left in the car to pick up some of the other girls who were also coming along. Around an hour and a half later we were at the hotel and I got into my room. It was an amazing feeling. No darkness, no negativity, no depression, no sadness. I felt my old self again. I decided to call Ben to let him know that I was at the hotel safe and sound. He answered the phone but was surprised that I was at the hotel already. I didn't understand why he thought that and asked him what he meant. He said that about half an hour ago he'd been sitting in the living room watching TV when he heard the front door unlock and then saw me walk past the living room and go towards the kitchen. He said he called out to me and asked what I'd forgotten but I didn't answer. He then said that he told me that he loved me but I still didn't answer. Then he heard the back patio door open and then close. My entire body was hit by chills. I told him that I hadn't been back home. The phone went silent. I asked him if he was okay. He said he swore that he saw me at the house. And if it wasn't me, who was it? He was genuinely spooked now, but told me not to worry and to try and have a good weekend and he would see me Sunday. We both talked a little more and I knew that it was whatever was in that house or attached to those grounds that was making me feel so down. We agreed to chat about it when I got home and it was so comforting to finally have Ben on my side. Before we carry on, here's a promo for a great podcast called The Nightcap that you should really take a listen to. Greetings, friends. Do you have a taste for the unknown? Are your days plagued with thoughts of the strange and morbid? Has your bloodlust for knowledge of the most sadistic killers that has ever walked the earth ever been satisfied? If not, then I'm here to help. Welcome to the Nightcap, where nothing is taboo and the topics are always fresh. Join me by the fire on the first of every month for tales of terror and stories of the sadistic. Learn why your neighbor might be hiding a horrible secret, or if that conspiracy theory you thought was false turned out to be real. Whatever your dark desire, I have what you need. You can find me on Spotify, Radio Public, and Anchor, with more ways to listen coming soon. Without further ado, be safe, stay curious, and now, back to your program. The weekend flew by, and although we'd all had a great time, I couldn't help worrying about Ben back home. The Saturday night finished late, but not as late as the Friday. I think we were all worn out, to be honest. We'd been to a few bars and ended up at a curry house, where we had a great couple of hours. Even though we were all a little tipsy, 
the bride-to-be more than others, we decided to call a close to the weekend and get back to the hotel. We had a spa day planned for the Sunday, and then it was back home for everyone. And I had to admit that I wasn't looking forward to setting foot back in that house. Back in the hotel room, I decided to freshen up and take a shower and then get some sleep. But as I was in the shower, I heard my mobile phone ring. Then it rang again. I instinctively thought that something was wrong at home. I hurried up, finished and grabbed a towel. As I came out of the shower, the phone rang again. And just as I thought, the screen said it was the house landline. So I pressed to answer. Hi there, Ben. Everything but there was just static on the line. I said hello again, and this time the static sounded like there was a voice underneath it, but I couldn't understand what it was saying. It got louder and louder, so loud that I had to move the phone away from my ear when all of a sudden the call cut off. I was panicking now, so called the landline back, but it was ringing out engaged. So I called Ben's mobile. It rang a few times, Then a sleepy Ben answered the phone. Ben, I said. Helen, you okay? Ben replied. It's twenty past one. I know, I said, but you called my phone on the landline and I was just checking to make sure you were all right. The line's ringing out engaged. Landline, said Ben. I haven't used the landline all day. Listen, we really need to talk about all of this when you get back. I knew there was something wrong, but didn't want to make whatever the situation was any worse. I agreed again that we needed to sort this out when I got back home and double-checked again to make sure that he was okay. He said that he was fine, but wanted me to call him when I left to start my journey home. We both said goodnight and hung up. I didn't sleep well that night at all, and I really could have done without the spa day on the Sunday. I had a car full and a few journeys to make to drop friends off. I got back to the house at around 9.30ish, but there was no sign of Ben's car on the drive and the house was in darkness. Bit strange, I thought. Why hadn't he called to tell me he was going out? Then I remembered. I was supposed to call him when I left. But where was he? I got out of the car and walked towards the front door, fumbling around in my bag for my keys when I stopped. I didn't want to go inside on my own. It was as if a huge fog of darkness, misery and paranoia had descended and surrounded the house. This is ridiculous, I thought. I can't wait around on the drive for the rest of the night waiting for Ben to come home because I'm scared. I went back to the car, opened the boot and got my clothes bag and made my way back to the front door. I put the key in the door, unlocked it and walked into the hall. I switched the light on, dropped my bag and went into the kitchen to put the kettle on and was greeted by what I can only describe as a scene of absolute chaos. Every cupboard was open and almost all of their contents was on the kitchen work surfaces and the floor. Plates and glasses were smashed. Milk had been poured all over the place. I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. I got my phone out and called Ben who answered pretty much straight away. I asked him what the hell had happened and he told me to get out of the house and wait in my car for him. He said he wasn't far away and then hung up. This got me on edge even more, but I did as he asked and made my way back to the front door when I heard it click. I turned around to see that the kitchen light had gone off. Then there was another click and the hall light went off. I can't describe to you just how absolutely terrified I was. I've just never felt anything like it. I was alone, in the dark, in a house that I didn't know anymore. It had become a place that sucked all of the positive energy out of the atmosphere. It sounds so dramatic, but that's how it now felt. I turned the handle on the front door to get out, but the door wouldn't budge. I was pulling on the door handle, but it was solid. I was really panicking now and I could feel tears rolling down my cheeks as I became horribly aware that there was something behind me. I turned around and I couldn't speak. I couldn't scream. I could only stand there and watch a dark, shadowy mass starting to form in the darkness of the hallway down by the kitchen door. 
I pulled on the door again and it flung open. I rushed out, leaving it wide open and ran across the drive towards my car. But the keys were in my bag, and my bag was in the house. There was no way I was going back in. Literally at that moment, Ben pulled onto the drive and got out of his car and asked if I was okay. We both got back in his car and sat on the drive. I told him what had just happened, and he fully believed me and said that he'd stayed at a local hotel after literally fleeing the house at around 11pm on Saturday night. He'd been driving around waiting for me to get home because he didn't want me to go back into the house. Ben had said that after what had happened when he thought that he'd see me in the house when I called him from the hotel, things went from scary to absolutely terrifying. He said that he'd decided to take a walk down the local pub to get out for a while. He had one drink and then made his way back. He had made up his mind that he was going to stay busy and have a tidy up in the garden and the outbuilding. He unlocked the front door and immediately heard that the TV was on. He swore he'd turned it off, but couldn't be 100% sure. He grabbed the keys and went to the outbuilding to grab some tools. Ben said that he'd spent at least an hour messing around in the garden and then went back into the outbuilding to have a sort out. As he was putting bits and pieces away by the window, something moving by the house caught his eye. He looked out of the window to see, well, someone or something that looked like me walk across the garden and into the kitchen. Ben said that it looked solid, absolutely real, just like before, and again, in broad daylight. He locked up the outbuilding and got to the back door and looked around in the kitchen, but there was nobody there. He walked through the house, checking every room, but again, nothing. Then he heard a noise upstairs, as if someone was walking around our bedroom. Ben fully admitted that he was completely spooked and even said that in true horror movie tradition, he grabbed a poker from by the fireplace in the living room and slowly went upstairs. Upon entering our bedroom, he said he was completely frozen to the spot in fear as he was looking at a floating, shadowy figure in the far corner of the room. Ben said that it didn't have a definite shape, but he could tell that it was a human-looking figure. He said he tried to move, but it felt like he was paralysed. The figure then moved at incredible speed towards him, and he screamed out, dropping the poker and covering his face. Ben was certain that he felt something brush past him at that moment, even pass through him. Then he said that he heard a series of tremendously loud crashing noises coming from the kitchen. Ben said he ran back downstairs and into the kitchen and saw it in the state that it was in now. Mess, destruction, chaos. Then came the noise. Ben described it as being high-pitched at first, as if it was like a dog whistle, but then it got lower and louder and turned into a scream. It became so deafening that he said he couldn't stand it. He grabbed his coat, wallet and car keys and got out of the house as quickly as possible. It was then that he reminded me about the calls to my mobile from the landline while I was in the hotel. He wasn't even in the house. So what, or who, made those calls? We both stuck together after this, never being in the house alone. Whatever was causing all of this phenomenon to take place in our house, it didn't seem to appear when we were together. It was as if it knew we were weaker when we were apart and it wanted to expose that weakness. It wanted to break everything apart. We ended up agreeing with each other to put the house back up for sale and move out as quickly as possible. I know that sounds terrible, handing over a house to new owners and hoping that whatever was haunting it wouldn't cause them problems. But we knew we couldn't live there any longer. The sale went through and we moved into a new build and we haven't had any more problems. We lost money, incurred penalties from the mortgage company, but we took the hit and got out. We never went into the history of the house and didn't bother doing any digging into what could have been responsible. We both firmly believe in what we experienced, but we never, ever want a repeat of it.
So there you have it. An amazing story with entities that seemed intent on preying on the couple as separate people. I think both Ben and Helen were correct in feeling that whatever this paranormal force was, it wanted to feed off their negativity towards each other and drive them apart. But what would it have done if it had been successful? Maybe it's best that we never know. A huge, huge thank you to both Ben and Helen for sending in the story and for letting me work with them to tell it in its entirety. Now at this point, I usually say, well, we've come to the end of this episode. But a few weeks ago, I received another amazing story from a listener. A story so intriguing that it needed to be told in this episode in full, because the couple who moved into the house that you're about to hear about stayed until they decided to move on but only after an event involving an elderly lady. The following story was sent in by Pete and goes as follows. It was the mid-1990s and my brother had received notification that he'd been leased to council house, but there'd been a delay whilst it was being refurbished as it hadn't been upgraded for many years. My brother, his wife and two kids were in a small two-bedroom flat and desperate for more space so my brother negotiated that if the contractors fitted the kitchen, bathroom and central heating, he would do the rest. They agreed subject to a few conditions being met. A week or so later we were speaking on the phone and I asked him if he fancied going for a couple of beers if he wasn't working on Saturday. He said that that sounded great but that he really wanted to make a start on the new house. So I said, I tell you what, how about I come round and give you a hand? and then we can go and have a few drinks and watch the football results. He said he needed all the help he could get, and it looked like no one had decorated since the war, and when I saw it, I wondered which war he was talking about. Saturday came along and I met him as arranged and went up to the house. It looked to have been built in around the 30s, in a quiet street at the edge of a churchyard. We walked up the seriously overgrown footpath, and my brother opened the door and, gesturing me inside, said, Well, welcome to my humble abode. But as I crossed the threshold, the last word on my mind was welcome. The feeling in that house was difficult to describe. It was a mixture of gloom, abject loss and despair. Now I'll be the first to admit that a deserted house, unlived in for many months and undecorated for several decades, would naturally not hold feelings of laughter and light. But this was different. Anyway, we set straight to work in a bid to make serious headway on the wallpaper stripping before feeling that we'd earned our beer later on. What do you want me to do, I asked. My brother pointed up the stairs, meaning that I had the job of stripping the stairwell. So I started and boy, this stuff wasn't coming off without a fight. I plodded on and once I'd gone up about three or four stairs, I became aware of my brother in my peripheral vision, looking at me from the lounge doorway, right at the foot of the staircase. I turned to catch sight of him, but there was no one there. I can remember saying something like, everything alright, but no reply. I carried on and the head appeared again. I turned again and it vanished. I distinctly remember thinking, why is he messing around when I thought he wanted to get this done? So I quietly went down a few stairs and burst into the lounge, expecting him to be hiding around the corner with a grin on his face. To my amazement, he was across the room at the top of an aluminium stepladder. He turned around and said, what's up? The very act of his turning led the ladder to creak and groan, and I realised that there was no way he could have got from the door to the top of that ladder either that quickly or silently. I went back to my scraping, and the head appeared again. I made an effort to ignore it, which was difficult as I really wanted to know what it was, but it was completely futile. It kept vanishing at the merest movement of my head. After a while it stopped, and I concentrated on getting the walls finished. That beer was becoming more appealing by the minute. No sooner had the head stopped looking up at me, when I began to experience a distinctly grim feeling of foreboding the further up the stairs I went. 
to the point that eventually it felt like I was trying to move upstairs through neck-deep water and the atmosphere seemed very thin, like there was almost not enough oxygen to breathe properly. It truly felt as though there was something up there that didn't want me to reach the bend in the stairs and look onto the landing beyond. By now, we'd been there for about an hour and a half when I heard the ladder creaking followed by my brother crossing the front room and saw his head appear through the open door. It struck me that at six foot, his head was a good 12 inches higher than the previous head, so its owner was probably no taller than five feet. To my surprise, my brother then said, do you want to call it a day? Puzzled, I replied, but it's only just gone 12 o'clock. Yeah, I know, but I had a bit of a late night and I'm, I'm not really up for it today, he answered. What I truly felt was, bloody right, let's get out of here. But what I said was, well, okay, if you're sure, but let me know when you come back and I'll give you a hand. Before we carry on, here's another promo for a great podcast called Paranormal Exposed, which you really need to check out. Hey guys, this is Michelle, and I want to first of all thank you all for checking out this podcast. You may be wondering what you were in for tuning into a podcast called Paranormal Exposed. Well, let me tell you what you're going to get on this ride. First off, I am a skeptical want-to-be believer in the paranormal. I'm going to be looking into various paranormal stories and give you all the information that you can possibly handle. You will get the history behind your favorite stories, along with some stories you might never have heard of. So, of course, this isn't a history podcast. It's a paranormal one. So, of course, I'm going to present the haunted reports, as well as any photographic video evidence or any of that I find along the way. All the episodes will feature stories based in the United States, and I will cover various paranormal phenomena. So join this skeptic every Wednesday wherever you tune into podcasts, and together we will find the truth and expose the paranormal to be real or not. Now, it's back to the show. Usually when we're together we talk almost constantly about anything and everything, but we made that five-minute walk in almost complete silence. It wasn't much better inside the pub either. In hindsight, and knowing how this story ends, I was certain that we both wanted to ask each other how we felt in there, but we didn't. We had a couple of beers, then one of us, I can't remember which one, made the excuse and we went our separate ways. I never got another call from my brother asking for help, and I have to say that I didn't call him to remind him either. Life just carried on as it always seems to do. Fast forward a couple of months and I was talking to my mum on the phone and I happened to ask if she knew how my brother was getting on as I'd called him a couple of times last week but got no answer. After a long pause, my mum said, well, it's difficult, he's, he's got visitors. I said, what do you mean? How? It's bigger than the flat but there was still barely enough room to swing a cat around in there. How can they have visitors? My mum said... I know I've said too much. You've been there. I thought you knew. My head was spinning now, and I said, Mum, what the hell are you talking about? What's going on? Another pause. Then my mum said the sentence that I will never, ever forget. They've got ghosts. The house is full of ghosts. I honestly recall nothing of the conversation beyond that point. I was in a complete daze. The next day, I called my brother about a dozen times, bearing in mind that neither of us had a mobile phone in those days, so it relied upon you getting lucky and catching them in at home. I eventually got lucky, and he picked up. He sounded awful, withdrawn, run down, despondent. I said, mate, what the hell is going on? He said, what do you mean? I replied, I've spoken to mum. What do you think I mean? According to her, you've got a house full of bloody ghosts. He said I bloody told her not to say anything. He then asked, Didn't you see anything when you were here? You must have. Anyway, we talked for ages, 
and I told him about the odd feeling on the stairs and the head that kept appearing through the doorway. At that, he burst out laughing and said, a bloody head through the doorway. I saw a hunched over figure walk from the kitchen across the lounge to the hallway and disappear, and when I turned back to face the wall, there was the bottom half of a monk walking down the wall. That's why I wanted to get out of there so early. He then spent the next couple of hours reeling off detail after detail of what had been happening. He said that rarely a day passed without incident. His young daughter was too afraid to go into the downstairs toilet because of the dragon growling. The kids ran in from the garden one day shouting, Mummy, Mummy, quick, the old man's fallen down and he can't get up. Obviously, when she got out there, there was no old man and the kids got told off. They were adamant that there was someone out there and they wouldn't let it drop. On one particularly notable occasion, my brother's wife had a friend come over so she could show off their new baby. She asked if her friend would mind watching the baby who was asleep in her carry cot while she popped up the shop for some milk. A few minutes later, she returned to find her friend standing in the middle of the road holding the baby. What on earth's going on? she asked. Her friend handed her the baby, saying that there was no way she was going back into that house. Not now, not ever. Apparently, after hearing general tea-making activity in the kitchen, her friend assumed that my brother's wife had returned via the back door and carried on making their drinks. She said that's when she'd heard the kettle whistling. She'd gone into the kitchen to see if she could carry anything through to the lounge, to be confronted by no wife, no tea, just an empty kitchen and the strong smell of cigarettes. She ran back to the lounge, grabbed the sleeping infant and fled. My brother's wife couldn't muster anything more than, but I don't have a whistling kettle, to which her friend replied, I bloody well know that now. Inevitably, the haunting put an immense strain on the relationship and family life in general, as you'd imagine. They started to argue a lot, and during one such argument, my brother experienced something that when I heard it, it made every hair on my body stand on end. He said they were having one of their rows upstairs, and he decided to go downstairs to try and defuse the situation. His wife just kept shouting louder in order to be heard. As he was walking across the front room, he shouted back, Oh, for Christ's sake, give it a rest. Immediately, he heard what he described as a rasping, almost demonic voice in his ear. Say, shut up. The bit that really got to me was that he said he felt a gust of cold breath right in his ear as the words were being spoken. The haunting was almost constant, with apparitions, poltergeist activity and disembodied voices. The rational outsider would almost certainly ask, why did you put up with it for so long? It's a question that I've also asked him. He said he didn't really know where to turn. He's not religious, so thought it hypocritical to go down that route. He could hardly call the police, and what the hell were the council going to do? He said he clung to the hope that all victims of abuse cling to, maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Of course, it usually wasn't, and bizarrely, it eventually became normal, all run-of-the-mill. Anything today, love? Not really. Just the old lady watching me in the bath. Oh yeah, nearly forgot, the monk walked down the chimney breast again. Lovely stuff. What's for dinner? A while later, whilst my brother was at work, there was a knock at his front door. His wife answered to a friendly-looking lady in late middle age. She said, I hope you don't mind me calling around unannounced, but I believe we have a mutual friend who has told me about your troubles. If you'll let me... I may be able to help you. Obviously, my brother's wife was taken aback a bit, but nevertheless agreed to talk to my brother when he got in and to call the old lady in a day or two. They discussed the situation that evening. They had understandable concerns about things being stirred up and getting worse, but agreed to at least hear the woman out. So they invited her round. 
After a few cups of tea and a lot of discussion, it was agreed that she would return on Saturday to perform what I believed he described to me as a cleansing ritual, rather than a blessing. Presumably, she was not a member of the clergy. My brother said he was fascinated, blown away and also genuinely scared in equal measure by the proceedings. The lady went throughout the entire house and gardens with a Bible, various crosses and other paraphernalia, reciting incantations and actually got into conversations with some of the spirits. When she was finished, she calmly announced, It's done. She told my brother and his wife that there were three spirits. One had been grounded there for hundreds of years, from a time when the ground held monastic accommodation linked to the church next door. For whatever reason, the monk had been unable to move on. She was able to help him, and he was never seen again. The other two spirits were a husband and wife who had lived in the house since the 1950s. Towards the end of the previous year, the lady of the house had become very ill with throat cancer and had had to be taken into hospital. While she was in hospital, her husband had a fall in the garden and broke his hip. Unfortunately, as is often the case with old people in hospital, he developed complications and sadly passed away. Sadly, the old lady fared no better. She became critically ill and was moved to a hospice where she passed away not long after her husband. The lady described two souls, confused and in limbo both searching for the other and failing to understand why they were not there. And furthermore, what were all these strangers doing in our house? They had both returned to their home of nearly 50 years expecting to find each other, not realising that the other had sadly died. It turned out that they had a son who had predeceased them and she was able to communicate with him and enlist his help in persuading his parents to leave this realm and join him in whatever place lies beyond this life. From that day until my brother and his wife moved, they never experienced another incident, and there was an entirely different feeling to that house. This is the bit where someone says, Shame really, I sort of miss them. I know I'll never hear my brother say that. As for the dearly departed, I hope and pray that all three spirits are now at peace. Huge thanks to Pete for sending this story into the show, and thank you for also letting me use this as part of an episode. The lady with throat cancer. Was it her raspy voice that Pete's brother heard during the argument with his wife? The old man who took a fall in the garden. Was this the man who Pete's brother's children saw? And finally the monk. Obviously an inhabitant of the Long Gone Monastery, which was connected to the church next door. Two stories of hauntings which not only impressed their effects upon the people involved, but that also had very different outcomes. Ben and Helen choosing to sell their house and move away as they felt completely overcome and frightened by the entity or entities which had decided to make them their targets. Then you have Pete's brother and his wife staying in their house because they didn't know which way to turn until the helping hand from a strange woman finally put the spirits and the house at peace. So what would you do if you lived in a haunted house? Where dark forms, apparitions, poltergeists and other paranormal entities were almost a daily occurrence? Maybe we'll never know. But next time you go to view a property that you feel could be your ideal home, Always keep your senses on high alert, because the next person who could unknowingly move into a haunted house could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout outs. And the first one is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. 
listener figures are rising rapidly and that's all down to you. So, huge thanks to you all. Another shout out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a third season. Huge thanks to both Colin and Debbie. Next up is a request to all you listeners out there again. Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? Had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on Season 3's Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type your story up and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care.